Litcentric Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K-8. Book Taco is an affordable alternative to Accelerated Reader with an engaging, inclusive environment for the diverse students you serve. Book Taco lives up to its name by getting kids who devour books. And we both know that when it comes to achievement, there's just no substitute for reading. I'll explain what I mean later on in the episode. Welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. I'm excited about a new resource I have for you that's available for free at litcentric.com. I wrote a brief article on a key ingredient to a better reading intervention program, and it's all about entrance criteria, baby. (laughs) Entrance criteria are like assessment benchmark scores, except they represent the minimum of what we hope students achieve. Entrance criteria are important because they can help teams determine who's most at risk, and then really from there, who's the top priority for intervention. And they can also help us determine who no longer needs the extra intervention, because no student should have a life sentence to intervention services. So check out my article. It's called The Key to a Better Reading Intervention Program, and download a copy of the K2 sample entrance criteria that I have for you. You can find it at letcentric.com under resources and assessments. I'll also have a link in the show notes, so don't forget to take a look at that and grab it as your free resource. All right, in today's episode, we're going to take a look at expanding vocabulary for better descriptions, and we're going to use the text Parker Looks Up, An Extraordinary Moment. Now, I love this text because it's based on a wonderful true story that was popular in the news a few years ago. You'll notice that the authors are the main character and her mother. So Parker Curry is the girl in the story and Jessica Curry is the mom. And it's a beautiful example of the importance of representation in children's literature. And what I love to use it for is actually helping students to really expand their vocabulary in order to improve the descriptions that they write. And we're gonna do this in a way that combines making connections to pieces of art. So it's a really fun lesson for kids to engage in. So let's take a look at today's text, Parker Looks Up. So Parker and her mother and little sister are gonna spend the day at the museum and they meet up with some friends and enjoy looking at all the interesting works of art. All of a sudden, Parker looks up and is spellbound by a particular painting. It happens to be the portrait of former First Lady Michelle Obama, painted by Amy Sherald for the National Portrait Gallery. Now, this actually was um, an interesting experience because not only did her mom get to see how captivated Parker was by Michelle Obama's image, but it was also captured by someone nearby and the photo went viral. And that's why it was in the news um, a few years ago. And actually, Jessica Curry, the mom in the story, she actually wrote an article about it for the New York Times. And I'm going to give you that link in the show notes. And I think it's great to share the article with students because not only does it provide a little bit of the background of really what took place and how special it was, 
but it really goes into depth into why, you know, this is important in our social context. So this idea of, you know, adequate representation, not only in children's literature, but, you know, um, the different images that little girls see, that people of color see, any marginalized group, it's important that their experiences are conveyed honestly and accurately, and that they see successful versions of themselves being represented in our media. Right now, we're all missing our students and the little things that make teaching wonderful. Sharing a favorite read aloud, connecting with learners, seeing the light bulb go off when a student finally gets it. There's nothing better and I know we're all desperate to recreate those moments online, and we're all worried about our students' achievement. Will they read at home? How can I check to see how they're doing? How can I best help them maintain their reading skills when I'm teaching remotely? This is where Book Taco can help. All the important things Book Taco can do in the classroom can also be done remotely in virtual classrooms. Students read, they engage in thoughtful tasks about their reading, and they share their work. It's that simple. With so many libraries and companies making ebooks and audiobooks accessible for free right now, students aren't limited to the books they have at home. And with Book Taco's collection of over 30,000 quizzes, your students won't have any trouble finding activities to match the books they want to read. I'm so thankful for Book Taco's teacher dashboard because it helps me keep track of all my students' progress. I can see which books students are currently reading, check on how much they've accomplished, provide feedback on their work, and even assign scores and grades. All of this from the comfort of my home. And because I can manage all of these things so seamlessly, it frees me up to meet with students during regular school hours so I can check in with them and support them in all the other ways they might need. If you're looking for an online solution for today's remote learning reality, then you've got to check out booktaco.com. That's booktaco.com. In our text-dependent questions today for Parker Looks Up, I like to have students make some predictions in here because um, the story actually starts out, the pacing's a little bit different. Um, I won't say it's lopsided because it definitely has a purpose to it, but it doesn't have necessarily an even pacing to it. The first half of the book really is just about the experience of going through the museum and describing some of the paintings that they see. And the most captivating part really doesn't start happening until maybe the last third of the text. So there's a lot of opportunities for students to make predictions and start talking about the uh, artwork that they see, just like Parker sees. It's also important that students know who Michelle Obama is. So they may recognize her, but they may not understand uh, what a first lady is or former first lady. They may understand uh, President Obama or remember President Obama. Some students likely won't because they're very young. So it's important that we talk about and give some context for Michelle Obama and the significance of the portrait. And we're going to do that partly through the text credit questions we ask to bring up those conversations. And then also partly through the activity we're going to do where students are going to use their current vocabulary and then we're going to push them a little bit further by providing them additional vocabulary that they can use to help connect to these pieces of art. So for our bridge chart today, you're going to need to download different artwork images that you can share with students. Now, if you purchase the lesson from Eccentric Radio, I've actually given you the link to all the artwork that is represented in Parker Looks Up. So all those pieces 
from the Smithsonian that are available. So it's easy to just copy those um, images and print them out, you know, either on PowerPoint or Word, something like that. Or you can maybe use just a subset of those images, or you may actually substitute and use completely different images. It doesn't really matter as long as they're, I think, a good variety. And there's something interesting for students to look at and comment on because that's really what they're going to do in this vocabulary activity. So we're going to set it up as a carousel. And a carousel is when you have different activities or um, even the same activity, but different stopping points around the room where students literally rotate around the room to each of those uh, images or each of those posters, whatever the activity is. But that's where that carousel comes from because they rotate around like horses on a carousel. And you're gonna set it up where each image is displayed either you know, just on one of the student tables or even on the wall on a chart paper, however you like to do it. And students are gonna have a marker that they travel with. And I like for students to have a small group to work with because when they talk with one another about what they're seeing, they tend to generate more labels and more vocabulary words that describe the images. So I also like to make sure that kids even have their own marker. So you can actually do it where each group has a marker and maybe one student is the scribe or they take turns being the scribe, or you can make sure each student has their own marker. However you think your students can handle that logistically is fine. We just want to make sure that students spend a lot of time talking about what they see and then deciding and putting all ideas down on the paper. And of course, their spelling does not be perfect. They're just going to write um, to the best of their ability so that we can try to read it later. So as students move from portrait to portrait or painting to painting, what they're doing is labeling descriptive words. So generally adjectives, sometimes students will maybe um, write in a verb or a noun because they're associating that with a picture, and really that's fine. But we are shooting for words that help describe the image in some way. And I like to talk with students about making connections to those portraits and to those paintings because that is tapping into their schema, and that's where they're going to be drawing from um, to create or generate the language that they need to actually write the descriptive word on the chart. So students rotate through and go to all those different pictures, however many you decide. And then the second round is slightly different. The second round, I'm actually gonna provide students with some vocabulary descriptive words that they might wanna use to add to the uh, carousel they've already done. And in the lesson, I've actually given you um, a sample of a descriptive word bank. It kind of looks like um, just a table or almost labels, right, that you can print out. And I just cut them apart into little pieces and students can um, either take a piece of tape or a little glue stick and as they travel around, if they find a word that they think associates well with that picture, they can glue that um, onto the list that they already created earlier when they wrote with markers. So the first time they do the carousel, this is words they already know and often they use every day to describe things, like big, right? That might be a word that they use a lot. But in the descriptive word bank, maybe there's a word like humongous. And so that would be a way for them to generate um, some new vocabulary and maybe use words that they don't use all the time or maybe they're not so familiar with. Some of these descriptive words may be synonyms, but some may not because I'm really trying to stretch students a little bit uh, with this particular activity. In the lesson, I also include a blank version for you so you can write in additional words that you think are important for your students to know. Maybe drawing words from other texts that you've been studying or a unit that you've been working on. So any vocabulary that is descriptive that you think would be helpful for students and you know can push them a little bit, go ahead and generate a list like that and provide that for students as well. So by the time the students are finished with their second round of the carousel, 
each of those paintings should have a list underneath it or next to it um, of a lot of descriptive words that groups have come up with. Now, I failed to mention earlier, one of the things that I don't want students to worry about is if, um, let's say they want to label the word, um, you know, beautiful, and they see someone has already put beautiful on the list, it doesn't matter to me if they write beautiful again, because I don't want them to kind of you know, be discouraged just because somebody already came up with it. I think it's a good thing if more than one person comes up with the same idea because it probably means that it's more accurate description. So I always tell students, no matter what other people say, you don't even have to worry about what other people say actually on the charts. Just go ahead and write what you think describes the picture well. So after they've gone those two rounds, we review each of those charts that we've created. So those bridge charts really um, again, they have the painting on them, they have the words that students have generated, and they have the words that the labels that I've given them that will help expand their vocabulary as well. And we're going to talk through all of those and kind of generate ideas about what we think, um, which words we think describe it well. Maybe some kids will have to clarify why they use certain words, and that's totally fine. It just expands other kids' thinking. And by reading them aloud, it gets lots of kids to hear lots of different words, again, that they might not use every day. Afterwards, I'm going to ask students to do a writing task where they choose one of these paintings and write a descriptive piece about it. And these bridge charts can obviously help them with that because there's so much language that they can draw from. Now, just having the vocabulary, though, may not be enough, for, uh, enough support for some of my students. So I'm going to give them a couple of sentence frames that can help them generate some sentences that go along um, with those words and they can use them more effectively. So sentence frames like this painting reminds me of blank or this piece makes me think about or one connection I have to this piece is and then they can start using some of the descriptive words that they've generated and um, I want them to explain the connection that they have with that piece because it's going to give us a little bit of background into who they are and how they connected with it and it further taps into their schema which is going to be important for them as they write. So I hope you'll check out the Litcentric Radio uh, growing bundle of lessons. I've also created a new offering of Litcentric Radio lessons by season. So if you're interested in several of the lessons, like just from season two, for example, you can purchase just season two. So the best value is still the growing bundle of lessons that has every lesson that has ever appeared on the show. Uh, however, um, sometimes it is kind of great just to zero in on one, uh, one season, especially if you want to try them out for the first time. So those are now available. Season five will be available when the season ends. Also, be sure to download your copy of the Litcentric's K2 Entrance Criteria so that you can help improve your school or district's uh, reading intervention program. And read the article and share what you've learned with your colleagues. I'm hoping it generates some conversations um, about maybe some resources you're not utilizing. Maybe you've never had entrance criteria before. This is going to be important conversations to have with your colleagues and in how you refer students and how students exit your programs. So be sure to get a copy of that free resource. And I really hope that you will give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or any of the other um, apps that you like to use to listen to this show. Um, this is how a lot of other people find the show, and I'm really hoping to expand it this school year. I'd really love more listeners and more people using the lessons and to get those ideas out there um, in our classrooms. So hopefully you will share that with friends and again, give us a five-star rating review. I would greatly appreciate it. So we will see you next time. Have a great day at school.